You're listening to the C Word Radio, the podcast where we ask, what the f*** does young cancer survivorship mean? With me, Helen King, and guests. Subscribe and rate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Welcome back to the C Word Radio podcast. Today, our guest joins us from the very top of the Pacific Islands in Honolulu, Hawaii. Chanel is a fellow breast cancer survivor who went through a bilateral mastectomy after being diagnosed with bilateral invasive ductal carcinoma in 2019. Thank you so much for joining me, Chanel. I am so happy to be here. I've been following you on Instagram for a while and it's exciting getting to actually chat with you. Ah, it's such a pleasure. And it's so funny because I was like, oh, we're both, we're kind of at opposite ends of the Pacific Islands. (laughs) Except your island is way bigger than mine. (laughs) Very true. I'm so glad you could join us. So let's go back a little bit and set the scene. I don't know about you, but I feel like there was life before cancer and there's life after (laughs) cancer. And it's, I think it's quite interesting to, to reflect on what life was like at that moment that you got those words. So what was Chanel doing in in 2019? Oh gosh, it was definitely a shock to my core. 2019, I celebrated my 40th birthday. Just that summer, my partner and I had gone on this huge Yellowstone vacation and I invited like all my families and friends and not everybody could show up, of course, for something like that. But I had a good 25 people meet us in the middle of Montana. So we were having such a great, just great life, just living life. We had plans to start conceiving Mm. in October. And uh, I wanted to hold off because I wanted to drink for my 40th birthday. (laughs) I was like, I'm going in hot and I'm getting drunk. (laughs) So like, you can't do either of those if you're pregnant. Plan. Yeah. I had a life plan. We had a five-year plan and it was about to cash in. I remember the day I went for my mammogram. I was so confident. I was like, no way my maternal grandmother had breast cancer in her 60s and had a lumpectomy and survived and thrived until unfortunately something else took her a little too soon, but it wasn't breast cancer. And my paternal grandmother, she survived breast cancer, eventually had a double mastectomy. They got taken one by one because unfortunately she had a reoccurrence, but she was also a beautiful like strong black woman and I personally feel that had she had better health coverage Mm. then she would not have had that reoccurrence she was a very strong independent woman and raised five beautiful kids and she went through her thriver shift alone wow yeah so after seeing this these strong women in my family survived this. There's no way it was going to happen to me. There was no way. And the mammogram sucked. <laughs> yeah. I knew it was going to suck, but it, it really sucked. And in retrospect, I feel like that's when I really triggered anything in my body because 
a few days later, my OB called me directly and she said, I need you to sit down. And I was like, what? Mm. <laughs> what she's talking about? She's like, are you home? Are you going anywhere? I was like, no. And we had the most horrible conversation of my life. <laughs> mm. Mm. Um, she's like, I need you to get a biopsy right away. So we're going to schedule you like two days later. I had my biopsy. And since that day, like everything hurt. Like I, I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel any different. Like she told me, hey, you have breast cancer. But I was like, hey, I'm fine. But when they cut into me and when they took those samples, like everything was just pain after that. It was like I made the cancer angry wow. by, by touching it. Turns out I had 12 tumors throughout both my breasts. The largest one was, I believe, eight or nine millimeters. But I had these dense breasts and this hourglass figure. Nobody, like my OB, she was very adamant about giving me breast exams and we did not see this coming. So yeah, life stopped. It didn't just change, it stopped dead in its tracks. I'm so thankful that my bosses were so supportive and I didn't have to take any extra sick leave or anything. I just was able to take the time I needed, but it just, it happened so fast. They gave me a choice from, I believe it was maybe October 6th from the big news to our Thanksgiving. I had my surgery on November 27th. So in between that, life was just tests, blood tests, MRIs, CAT scans. And yeah, it was a whirlwind. And I think the biggest thing in my heart, what I can help the community is to help them advocate for themselves. Like we had chatted before about my, my chemo scare. Yeah. And how they told me that I would need chemo and I needed radiation. And it was so scary. And they scheduled me for a port surgery. And I, I was terrified. I was more terrified of getting that port installed than I was of the chemotherapy itself. I was like, I have so many wigs at home already. I already love wigs. I don't care if I lose my hair. But as so many people know that it's terrifying, just terrifying. And I managed to no call, no show for yeah. my court surgery. <laughs> but it was subconscious. Like I had it on my calendar. All of my caretakers knew, like my boss knew it was on the calendar, on the schedule. But I just slept past my alarm. My surgery was at 6 a.m. And I woke up at like 8.30 and I was like, oops. The doctors were like, it's fine. We'll just, let's get some more blood tests and then we'll reschedule. In that time, my oncologist did some more tests and ran me through this uh, statistic system yeah. um, to figure out what kind of chemotherapy that I should be going and it turns out I wasn't eligible. Chemotherapy wasn't going to help my type of cancer. Wow. So my body, in a way, like rebelled and said, no, we're not doing this because we don't need it. Wow. That's so interesting. Is it because I feel like this is more common in the States than it is in New Zealand, where I have heard other people say they had a test and it's told them, 
what the percentages would be if they had chemo and whether it would be effective. But I feel like that's something that we don't really do here. <laughs> so I'm so intrigued by this. Was it that it just wouldn't be effective or the it just wasn't the best course of action? It just wouldn't be effective. Wow. Yeah. And that's, yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, maybe y'all should have collected that information before scheduling me for surgery. Yeah. <laughs> because it, it was stressful. It was a mental stress, just trying yeah. to prepare for it. And then I would go online and I'd see all these beautiful thrivers and just those, your scars, it, it hurts. <laughs> it hurts yeah. me to see that other people have gone through it. I was so grateful, so thankful. Yeah. Radiation started that following spring and that was horrible <laughs> as many people can attest. Mm. We ended up having to stop two weeks out of my last session because I was just so burnt and just, I was bleeding. I was peeling. I was bleeding. I was cracking. And I just, they said, you have to heal. We can't, <laughs> we cannot do this to you while you're you have open wounds that was a really dark place I felt very suicidal hmm. it was lonely it was in the middle of pandemic I was thankful that I did have some friends that were able to come and see me and everybody sent me lots of love but you lose people yeah absolutely go through a trauma like this and people that you thought were there for you suddenly disappear it's like hey we were best friends for 20 years and you haven't even said hey how are you doing I'm sorry you have breast cancer yeah that just put me in a really dark place and then that's when I discovered the Instagram community yeah of breast cancer thrivers and purveyors and yeah it's such a beautiful worldwide community it's amazing <laughs> It is. And I, I feel like you've touched on something there that we don't talk about. And I think it's probably more common than people think. I felt similar at times. It takes you to a really deep, dark place. And mm -hmm. it's really weird to think that because on the one hand, yeah, you're fighting. And this you have this internal fight that comes on and goes, no, nah. <laughs> not today. No, this isn't getting me yet. I've got too much more to do. Thank you very much. But I feel like at the same time, the heaviness and the impact of treatment and the mental impact of what's going on, it's mm -hmm. a lot to carry. And yeah, I certainly had times as well where it felt like too much and I didn't know how I was going to how life was ever going to return to a place where I would be happy again. Yeah. Yeah. It took a long time. I think that's something that I think would be really good to talk about because I don't know what it's like in the States, but when you finish treatment here, you get signed off. For me, I got signed off from my oncologist because I didn't need to see him anymore. And I see my surgeon once a year for my mammogram and just a little checkup. But being a younger person, say you have to return to work or you might have other responsibilities. And so what I found was a lot of the support didn't suit that life because it was during the day. It was a lot of older folks because what I think in New Zealand, 8% of people diagnosed with cancer are under the age of 40. So you're kind yeah. of scrambling around going 
how the hell do I now go and live my life where I feel like I am now a dumpster fire of of emotion and grief and anger so what have you done what has helped you come to acceptance or feel at a better place it was really getting out of my comfort zone and reaching out to this community when I was diagnosed before my surgery I was offered a peer mentor through my health insurance which I I was excited about and this was just before the pandemic happened I was lost. I really was like, oh, I wish my grandmothers were here. And then I went to go to our, they do this. I don't know how they do it in your side of the world, but what they do is they have this, this physician workshop. So they gather all of your care team physicians in one day and all of their patients. So there were about eight people in my group, in my workshop. And we would take turns talking to each doctor. So we'd do rounds. So everybody had five or six doctors, right? So we would just do rounds. Everybody would get 30 minutes with the doctor. They'd get pamphlets and such and so forth. And so the peer mentor is hosting this event for the doctors, explaining everything. And she's no peer. (laughs) This is one of the things, like you had mentioned, that the percentage of breast cancer patients under the age of 40 is so low. So yeah. like, how is this nice 65-year-old woman who still has both her breasts and has had a beautiful life and a beautiful family and beautiful grandchildren, like how is she my peer? Mm. And the way she looked at me, because I was also the youngest person in the room. Surprisingly, just off subject, there were two men there. And that's important to know that men yeah. do get breast cancer. Absolutely. So there were two men there in my group, which also you're not their peer either. <laughs> like, no. What if you... So after just giving up on my peer mentor and going into a really dark place and just having those dark suicidal thoughts, I went straight to Instagram because I, uh, it's just a more positive platform. It took getting out of my comfort zone and really putting myself out there on Instagram. First, I tried to look up in my immediate area and I didn't really have so much luck. There there are a handful of good places here on the island, but also like just hitting pandemic, like nobody's really offering anything because everybody's just trying to keep themselves healthy and safe. Yeah, I found several wonderful ladies and just started following them and like how they were coping and I reached out to them and they reached back out to me so I'm I'm very happy that I've made a handful of friends on Instagram that I hope we get to meet up in real life but it was really through other people's stories that helped me get through my own and just knowing that I wasn't alone because it is such a small percentage. You even go to these events, a lot of events, and you'll see they're all older women. They're all full lives. And I'm not downplaying anybody's cancer at all, but it's different. I don't have children. No. My future was cut. I had to figure out how to be okay with that. Yeah. In case Uh it didn't happen. 
and I relate to that so much. And I think it's been similar for me where it has been peer groups. We're really lucky in New Zealand. We've got a charity called Shocking Pink and it was started by women who got cancer in their 30s. That's been an amazing space to connect and also definitely social media, just finding other people who have gone through cancer. It doesn't necessarily need to be breast, but just other younger people. Because they get this stuff. And I've realized more and more that for me, one of the hardest and most painful aspects of the impact of breast cancer for me has been infertility. Because what happens here, and I was really lucky because I was able to go through fertility preservation funded by the government because I hadn't had children yet and I was under 40. And I think the challenge with that is that you hold it up as the light at the end of the tunnel of, and people say it, and I know that they're trying to be nice because your team around you are trying to get you through this awful treatment. And so for me, it was always, okay, we're just going to get through and then maybe things will be better and we'll be able to use those embryos and things. And Oh man, like it just doesn't prepare you for the shit storm afterwards (laughs) where it doesn't work or you realize that, is probably not going to happen and can you go through that again and it's a guarantee yeah heard so many people say at least you have eggs in the freezers yeah I don't have the twenty thousand dollars to get them fertilized I (laughs) I don't have a surrogate or the funds to like yeah yay me (laughs) (laughs) freezer yeah (laughs) And that's it, isn't it? It's, it's very expensive to, to go through fertility treatment, whether it's monetary or actually the mental, physical, emotional impact of IVF. It's, oh man, it's really hard. And for the past, I think, year, a lot of the work that I've done has been around grief, around not having children. Because it's been, I think other people may relate to it, but I can't even articulate it. It's, it feels like this deep primal wound. It's and it's really yeah and it's really weird because I I know that to be a woman or to be a a adult you're not defined by whether or not you've had children or not and I know people who do have great lives and all of that sort of thing the only way I can explain it is like in my situation it was like I had been married previously and that marriage ended and part of it was I realized that we were never going to have children because he didn't really want them And I realized that actually I would like that as part of my future. And then to then meet someone that you think, I would like to have children with this person. And then six months later, get aggressive breast cancer. The choice is taken away. And that's that's very difficult to navigate because it's not like I've gone, actually having kids isn't for me. And so we'll just carry on with our lives and everything's fine. It's that I can't have them. It's really a difficult pain to carry sometimes. You're probably similar with the age that you are, is that people have kids. Nearly all of my friends have children, and the ones that don't have children are the ones that don't want children. (laughs) I have that primal wound because I was diagnosed with Graves' disease in 2017. And by 2019, I had gone into remission. So I had hyperthyroidism and I was diagnosed with Graves' disease my 
doctors told me like, I'm sorry, we want you to go on birth control. We don't want you to get pregnant because there's a high risk that you or the child would not survive the term with everything that's going on with you right now. I spent a lot of work, like trying to get myself healthy and trying to balance my hormones and my thyroid. And I am happily in remission from Graves disease, but it seems like as soon as I got the green light that it was okay again, I was shot in the stomach. Yeah. Like literally. Mm. And it was such a blow because it's okay. Now you're telling me again that it's nobody's told me yet. Thankfully that I can't have children, but it's not safe to have children. So of course, breast cancer, radiation, all the tamoxifen. They told me you should wait. Let's freeze the eggs. Yeah. I'd always been ready to have children. I've never like not wanted children. I've always been like the best auntie and I've done Mm -hmm. volunteer work teaching first graders and second graders. And I was a babysitter all of my youth. Yeah. Really kids. And I, I just to cope with the idea that I may not have my own family. And it it was really hard for my partner to hear too. We actually went through a a big thing this past year. We had broken up. He was, as a caretaker, he was stressed. Yeah, He had this woman that he wanted to make this life with and we were going to have a family. But being a co-pilot on this cancer journey was too much for him. And it does look like we're getting back together (laughs) because he's taken some time to really think about things and breast cancer or not, he's in it to win it. Just, it wasn't just my sorrow with Mm -hmm. the infertility suggestions and subjects but it it was his sorrow too because we had this life's plan and just having to accept and change an idea of what's going to make you happy and just be okay with it that just be okay with it I'll never be okay with it but I'm learning how to accept that it might not happen yes yeah I am too which is it seems to ebb and flow. I feel like, I don't know what your experience has been, but I, I really relate to something actually that you wrote in the pre-interview form. And I'd love to talk to you more about it if you want to. As you've said, you've had to confront your own bullshit. I'm like, yeah, me too. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I love this. I had to break uh, my own generational curses to allow my scars to strengthen my purpose live for the future and let go of the pains of the past because oh man that hit that really hit me hard because I was like that's exactly what has happened for me and it's really interesting because I didn't realize it until I had this beautiful woman on the podcast last year the lovely Naya she's so lovely oh okay we have to talk about her for just a second because she was the first person that responded to me oh (laughs) my angel she is my angel Naya's purpose oh yes oh love you girl love you 
<laughs> I'll link to her in the show notes because she's such a beautiful person. I'm getting tingles. And she really talked about that too, was that, yeah, she had to confront her own bullshit. And that is what I've been doing too in these past four years. What I have found is that cancer brought everything up and it was almost like the universe went, no more, you are, you're dealing with this shit. Because yeah, we're gonna deal with it now. <laughs> yeah, we're dealing with it now. And what I've discovered is that it's layers. It's layers of my own stuff. It's layers of intergenerational trauma or curses, like what whatever you want to label that. I think a lot of us do have intergenerational trauma that we don't realize how much we carry and how that impacts the way we are in the world. I think even in the past sort of six months, I've been doing a lot of, yeah, I guess work and stuff around really seeing who I am, where you pull back all the layers of labels that other people gave me and the layers of trauma and realizing who Helen is underneath all of that and letting her actually come out and be in the driver's seat. I would love to know what, yeah, like what your experience has been. Gosh, I, I recognized after going into my dark place that I needed to seek out a therapist, which was very hard also during pandemic because I had been seeing someone and Kaiser Permanente here in oh, yes. the state, they have a high turnover. I would get comfortable with a the therapist and then they would leave. And I ended up having to settle for a telephone appointments with a life coach through Kaiser. Yeah. Yeah. Elizabeth Anderson. She was amazing. And she, even though she was just doing Kaiser life coaching, she has all the degrees necessary to talk about all those other things. And she was really able to help me like really figure out like how I'm going to prevail through this she helped me like recognize bad habits it came down to me like really calling myself out is it because I'm just mentally exhausted or am I just being lazy because you don't get anything done when you're just being lazy and I just I wanted to be something more I wanted to be something beyond oh poor Chanel with breast cancer I wanted to let go of anger. Like we, we had touched on triggers. We don't know what's going to trigger us after a diagnosis and dealing with all that trauma. And I had a lot of, a lot of pain and anger from estranged family members. So it really forced myself to address that and to realize that I was causing myself more harm by harboring like these feelings about why haven't they called me I know we haven't been the greatest of sisters but like why haven't you like if the tables were turned but then it also comes to accepting and it hurts yeah but you have to accept that you are not everybody's priority so you have to be your own priority like you you can't be a victim I'm sorry that somebody didn't do this or do that But that's when we get back to being solid in our core identity, that it doesn't matter. I wish you well. That's not going to affect my whole week that I haven't heard from you for one incident. And 
removing those different layers of unnecessary grief and unnecessary energy. We spend all this time thinking, why haven't they done this? Or why haven't it heard from you for this? It sucks, but you just got to let it go, let it flow, and just continue worrying about how you're going to rise above yeah, and how you're going to keep thriving. Because no one else is going to thrive for you. You have to do it yourself. You really do. It's such a generic, like, I hate saying it out loud sometimes because it just sounds so silly, but you have to be your own advocate and your own best friend. You have to. Yeah. Otherwise, all this other chatter from the peanut gallery is going to get into your head and it's going to weaken your immune system. Not everybody's for you. And sometimes you grow out of people. And I think it's us holding on to these loyalties that really hold us back and really get us stuck in that mentality where we're not thriving, we're not growing, we're not expanding. Because we're just trying to maintain this for fuck's sake. Oh. Are you swear it's fuck? <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes, 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 yes. And it's so interesting to me. You've said all that. It's like, I feel so, like I'm not trying to say like I'm some like woke person and I'm super self aware. Like I'm learning, I'm learning how to let go of those invisible things that don't serve me and just trying to figure out how I don't need to be everybody's best friend, but if I can inspire you to just do something good for yourself, yeah, then that's awesome. Yeah. And what you said before is what I've learned and it's a very hard lesson is that, and it's, I think this is a quote somewhere, so I'm probably paraphrasing or stealing someone's quote, but it's that thing of no one is coming. Like you, you have to rescue you. You have to be your best friend. It's scary, but we can do it. Not to say that we should never ask for help. Yeah. Because that's important too. You need to find your balance. We got to try not to drown in that pity party. <sighs> yes. Yeah. Oh, we just, yeah. You feel sorry for yourself. It's been a tough day. Nothing's going right. It's so cheesy, but you create your own happiness. Yeah. So if you think you're going to be mad, if you yeah. think you're going to be angry, then that's how you're going to be. It's so interesting to me because I think you hit the nail on the head there. Where I think what I've been trying to do, and it's been, it's so uncomfortable and it's painful and awful and mucky. But I made this decision. I don't know how much longer I have on this earth. And mm-hmm. I don't want to be stuck in the past. I don't want to be stuck with these feelings. I have learned that you do grow around grief. And it will always be there. But it's a matter of growing around it. And then how you process it. And I have had this. Yeah, I've basically lived with this underlying sense of sadness. And just dullness since cancer happened and it has taken so much um, inner work these past few months to shift that a little bit and it's been mucky and uncomfortable because I think as we've been saying it's been about pulling back those layers pulling it back and going Mm -hmm. what is the source of this hurt where is it what is it telling me it needs yeah so I could go on a big tangent there but I just 
yeah, I really relate to that. A lot of that is projection too. You have to watch that. It, it is, are you projecting an underlining issue? We overthink a lot of it. Yeah. When we need to be present. We just yeah. need to be present. We don't need to think about what they said before, what's going to happen in the future. Just be right here right now. <laughs> Therapy really helps with those layers and identifying like how to untangle everything but it it's hard to find that right person to talk to and for me especially it was important to find a professional to talk to because I I do have lovely friends who will listen to me talk about everything or anything but I didn't want to burden them with like always having to be that soundboard I it got to the point where like I didn't have anything good to say when I was around them because I was just so miserable. And yeah. I recognized that I needed an outside person. I need I needed that therapist. I needed someone to talk to about those negative things in my life so that I could be present and there for my friends, like there for me. That's another reason I was so happy with all the resources that I did find online. So. Absolutely. It's a concept that someone else has talked to me about of having your healing round table. And what that can mean for different people is, yeah, you may have a therapist. My experience with grief, especially, is that has been a very physical thing. But one of the most powerful tools that I've learned is that um, it's almost like my grief needs to be moved through and removed, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And so it's things like yeah. I had a great session with actually a person I had as a guest, Katie Rustler, which I'll put her link in the show notes as well, because she deals a lot with grief. And that was one of the biggest steps for me was learning that it will be things like dance and making art and moving through things. And that has been, yeah, so important for me to find something else. It's been through massage because I hold so much tension and I have pain from my mastectomy some of it's been a little bit wacky woo woo and this may not be other people's choice and you may not agree with it but some of this stuff has been great for me like I've been to a couple of things where it's just women and it's like a circle it's like that thing of women coming together and just holding space for each other and that's been amazing you know, connecting back in with that kind of feminine power. More recently, I've tried breath work, which has been a pretty powerful thing. There are so many things out there that can help you. Like, it can take a lot, but you just, yeah, like you put together that healing round table. Like you said too, it's important to process what you're feeling. You have to figure out a way to process the grief. Mm process the anger, process the hurt. And don't get me wrong, processing doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to go away. Yeah. But you learn how to work through it so that when it comes in those waves, you're not just devastated and just give up on life. Yeah. You know what works for you and work through it and process it and just that ebb and flow just let it go I found that sort of collecting the things that work for me has been the biggest lesson for me in this past year even in the past six months to be honest like really going okay I just can't keep going feeling this thing at how how the fuck do I shift this <laughs> I yeah I feel you I feel you in January when my partner broke up with me it, I was just 
I was floored. I was like, yeah. it was eight years and wow. we've gone through cancer and we've gone through a lot. And it felt like he gave up on me at the finish line. And just six, six months earlier, I had talked with my oncologist and really let her know how about, I really wanted to start trying to have children. I wanted to family plan. I was ready to start talking about family planning. And we had talked about stopping the tamoxifen early because I've been giving good blood tests and going ahead and trying to conceive this winter. Yeah. And then the happens and I was just devastated. And at that moment, I was like, like cancer didn't take me down. This isn't going to take me down either. And that was truly the that was the moment of truth you know I'd done all this like self-work healing work and it was hard to get through but I refused to let anything else take me down hmm. coming up on my three-year anniversary, so just to think about these past three years and uh, so much has happened and it, it just seems non-stop and I know a lot of people feel that way like yeah. when, when does it end <laughs> does it does it ever end yeah. a lot of people yeah. they go through the surgery they go through treatment and then your friends and family are like okay congratulations you beat cancer yeah. it's like actually <laughs> for now for now and yeah. now the hard stuff Stuff. And now the yeah. hard stuff, all the aftermath that people don't talk about that. It's okay. You supported me through treatment, but like now I really need you. Oh my God. All's the time that I really need you to show up for me. I've been out of treatment for two years. Like now I need you the most to keep me on track and to keep me motivated. And to just, a lot of people just, they write it off at the ends there, yeah. but like there's fertility issues and my my doctors won't even say remission until it's been five years yeah and that's one of the scariest things (laughs) what does survivorship mean to you no longer taking life for granted that is the hardest question it is leaving that legacy for those of us who didn't make it through and it is saying yes to the things you love and saying no to the things that no longer suit you. So that's a pretty loaded question, but yeah. <laughs> I think all of the above, just basically making sure that you're living life how you see fit, not holding back and just appreciating those little things. I know that it's easier for me to say growing up, in these beautiful Hawaiian islands and being so loved by our community out here. It's not like that for everybody. A lot of people can't just walk outside if they're having a rough day. Some people live in the middle of the city in tiny little apartments. And it's just so important. I've come to find that you have to really dig deep into yourself and you have to make sure that your core identity is strong. There's so many things going on in life and we spread ourselves so thin, whether you're a mother or not. And especially in our community with our breast cancer survivors and survivors in this world, we 
put ourselves on the back burner. So I've come to learn if you can get comfortable with yourself and if you can just love yourself, then everything else just goes off your back. If you can be secure in that you're going to put yourself first and that you're going to love yourself every day, mm-hmm. by all means necessary, then all those other little troubles, no matter where you are in the world, like you'll see that beauty. I appreciate you sharing this with me and with the audience. So thank you so much for being a guest and sharing the story. It was my pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. The C Word is every Sunday at 11.55am on Auckland 104.6 Planet FM and anytime at www.planetaudio.org.nz forward slash the C Word.